Welcome to the Center for a New American Securities NATSEC Women podcast series. Last year, we started a project on getting new audiences to think and talk about issues of gender, inclusivity, and national security. Schedule an event with gender in the title, and you can guarantee it is 95% women talking to other women in the audience about women's issues. So we tried other ways. Some audiences were receptive. Some weren't. Some were frustrated we were making a big deal out of a topic they thought was closed. Asked and answered, move on. But among the women we know, it didn't feel nearly as clear-cut. So we're bringing you right to the source one-on-one candid conversations with women in national security about their careers, their experience, their advice, and their lessons. Here's their stories. Hi, I'm Kate Kidder. I am a fellow here at the Center for New American Security, and I am joined by Rebecca Zimmerman. So, Becky, thank you for joining us. Can you give us a little bit of background about who you are and what brings you here? Sure. Well, I've been working in the national security field for a long time now. Um, My entire career with a a brief hiatus when I worked on international development issues, Um, although that's arguably still national security. Um, I've spent a lot of time doing field research, mostly in Afghanistan, um, where I've done a lot of work with the Afghan military and police, uh, but also in the southern Philippines, in West Africa, and a whole bunch of whole bunch of places. Uh, I've been at the Rand Corporation for about a decade now in a variety of positions, and uh, I'm also working on my doctoral dissertation on uh, U.S. Army bureaucracy in Afghanistan and how the way in which we're organized actually makes it harder or easier to fully implement our doctrine. That's awesome. So um, I'm going to dive right in with some questions. Uh, So women often receive the question in this field, how do you deal with or what's it like to be a woman in working in national security? How do you answer that question? Yeah, I get to ask that one all the time, particularly when I do uh, field work in very conservative countries where just by being there, you're sort of an anomaly. And the way I answer it kind of depends on my mood at the time. (laughs) Sometimes I'm more flippant than others. Um, But, you know, a lot of times what I'll end up saying is, particularly as a field researcher, there's a lens people are going to have. They're going to respond to you as an individual. And you can't avoid that when you're doing field work. So sometimes that can work in your favor, sometimes that can work against you. And it doesn't matter if it's being a woman or if it's being an American uh, or any of a number of things. Um, You know, one thing I notice is sometimes when I am in places where I am sort of anomalous, at least in part because I'm a woman, also because I'm an outsider, everyone wants to talk to me. So in some ways it works in my favor. Um, But yeah, you know, I think when I used to feel like I was sort of the 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 only one or one of a few people, I think nowadays I feel that way less frequently. I do think we've got a, a bigger community. So now when people ask me what it's like to be a woman working in national security, I think um, it's a great time actually to to be doing this. I have a community of 
badass women who have deployed all over the world, who have done all these, you know, crazy, fantastic things. Um, and you know, it's, it's, uh, it's still the case that sometimes you have to really police your gender a bit more than you should. But increasingly, I think we're, we're able to actually be ourselves independent of thinking all the time about gender. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, so as we, uh, put out this survey, we asked a number of our respondents, what are some of the questions they'd like to flip back to us or back to the community? And you had some interesting ones. So what what are some questions that you have that you think we should really be diving into as we continue researching uh, <laughs> women in national security and, and how we advance women in national security? Yeah. Um, so I think uh, one of them that I know we were just talking about before is um, that I think women get asked more about their work-life balance, right? I, I, I mean, I get asked all the time when my dissertation is going to be done. Um, As do I. I just, <laughs> I just, I just accept some of that as a, a fact of life. But I do think um, uh, there's a degree to which people are more concerned with women maintaining a work-life balance and feel like they can ask about it more frequently than what you would expect for men. And I don't know if that's a positive or a negative, right? It, it can be both depending on the circumstance. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in understanding that. And there are a whole bunch of them. I, yeah. I could go on. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, Michelle Flournoy talks about this a, a lot, too, where um, when she was over at uh, the, the Department of Defense as the Undersecretary for Policy, that she stopped referring to it as work-life balance because it made people who weren't parents feel kind of left out of the conversation. And instead, she started framing it as predictable time off. So, you know, whether it was you had to be out, uh, you know, from 3 to 4 to pick up your kids, or you had to be out from 3 to 4 because you had yoga class, or you had to be out from three to four because you were training for a marathon, um, that it, it took away kind of the the gendered aspect of it and made both men and women feel like they could ask for uh, yeah. work-life it, balance. It's not even just the gendered aspect of it, right? It's also the life stage right. aspect of it. You know, one thing, one thing I have discovered is, you know, um, I perhaps no longer, but for a lot of my career, looked a lot younger than I actually was, I think. Um, and because I wasn't married and didn't have kids, I think people assumed that I was maybe at an, at an earlier stage of my career, certainly. Um, but also they make assumptions then about your time off, right? And, and what time off you need and don't need. And so that's, that's a really, I like, I like not referring to it as work-life balance. Yeah, which, you know, is, is in vogue these days, referring to this <laughs> work-life balance. Um, so as you look back on your career and think about all of your experiences, what is some of the advice that you give to, say, the 22-year-old version of yourself entering the field? Ooh, um, that is a really great question. Um, I think, number one... And, and I would say this uh, regardless of gender, but more firmly, I think, for women, is um, everyone has to pay their dues. That's true. But don't slot yourself into that category unnecessarily. And I see 
women do that more frequently than men, whether that is a more senior woman backbenching herself in a meeting when a more junior man is sitting at the main table. You know, you'll, you'll see those sorts of things happen. So, so yes, everyone has to pay their dues and everyone needs to be humble about that, but you don't, you don't want to let yourself get stuck in that mindset forever. And then the other thing is, particularly working with the military, you know, I think for such a long time I felt like I had to be a little bit of a, a, a robot, right? I mean, in, in one sense it's important to be sort of, uh, uh, I want to say, like, like Genderless might be the, the the wrong word, but you know you don't want to detached. You don't want to lead with that if you're you know in 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 a, a work environment, particularly a deployed environment. Um, but I think I I had uh, I had a real horror of showing emotion um, while I was deployed. I thought that that was really going to be perceived as weakness. And, um, and, you know, that's partly from some of the experiences that I had on deployment where, you know, uh, um, I had a couple of friends who, uh, were taken hostage and executed by the Taliban. And when I found out I cried and this SF dude saw me and was like, well, why do you think you get to cry? Like I've had dozens of friends go, mm. I was like, okay, got it. Got it. This is not the time or place. Understood. But now I've I've really come over to the the mindset that um, what makes, uh, at least speaking for myself, what makes me unique is that I am really passionate about the issues that interest me, um, and that has an emotional component to it. You know, when I get invested in something, I mean, some of the work I'm doing right now, you would not think that someone could get as invested as I am in some of these very wonky topics, like, you know, what the army's personality is like. Um, but I am. And now rather than seeing that as a, a hindrance, I think now I see it as a differentiator. And I think for a lot of women, it, it is that. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that's something that women can offer to the conversation as well, right? Arguably, there, there is the time and place element for the, the SF guy, right? But at a certain point, he has dues to pay himself when he does deal with the emotional side of the job. And um, yeah. I think one of the best pieces of feedback we got from the survey one of the, the questions that someone had posed was, you know, is it okay to cry in the in the work environment? And then answered the question with yes, because it means you give a damn. Um, and of course, it's tricky to navigate these things. That as, is, as is the, the, the crying in the workplace is a tough one to navigate. <laughs> if you could is. possibly do it where no one will see you. In the women's restroom. <laughs> right. No one else on your team is a woman. <laughs> Um, yeah, so so that does kind of open the door, though. Um, so a lot of times, issues of women and national security are raised as, you know, phrased as women's problems. You know, how can women? What what more can women do to make it in national security? But how do we flip that on its head? And and what are what more can we expect of men in terms of their behavior, in order to you know foster the next generation of men and women coming up behind them? Ooh, um, I think uh, a, a big, a 
big thing that that uh, I think I hadn't really thought that much about before. But um, uh, another badass woman friend of mine, Lila Kostani, um, recently started a nonprofit that does cross-gender mentoring for women coming into the soft community. And it's a really, it's a really interesting thing. I think our natural tendency as humans is that when we mentor, we look for somebody who reminds us of ourselves as younger people. And so the, the default is going to be for men to mentor men, um, you know, or, you know, or, or other factors that, that create similarity, but I think gender is a big one. And so, uh, I think what men and women can do is really make sure to kind of reach across that gender divide when they're thinking about who they help in their in their crew who they give advice to who they really kind of take under their wing um and i would love to see uh, more men taking on those mentoring roles with women but also i think it's really great for women to be able to mentor men you know uh, you know there are certainly people i feel like i have been able to mentor um who've been men and you know, who knows, maybe that gives them a better appreciation for, um, you know, what women bring to national security. That's great. Well, we're so glad to have you join us for this podcast. Um, and we look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks for having me.